My name is JD Henning, and you're listening to Cheat the Camera, a podcast about short films and those who make them. Today, I'm talking with Appy. Uh, Appy. Uh, Heck yeah! <laughs> okay, I'm gonna restart. <laughs> My name is JD Henning, and you're listening to Cheat the Camera, a podcast about short films and those who make them. Today, I'm talking with Apple Vic about Monsters in the Dark, which she wrote and directed. Go ahead and introduce yourself and give the audience a short introduction to your project. Hi, my name is Apple Vic. Uh, <laughs> I am the director, yes, I am the director, writer, producer of the short film Monsters in the Dark, which was my master's thesis uh, in school uh, back uh, at the Academy of Art University. Uh, it released was in 2019. Um, a little bit about it. Yeah, it was my thesis, um, a short animated film. It's both 3D and a 2D um, film about a young boy who is trying to who's dealing with the process of his abuse and runs into a forest where he meets a monster that forever changes his life and the the base of that story was uh just really trying to understand how you know children and people who've been through abuse in that regard whether that might be emotional physical or psychological how would you kind of process that but in a much more emotional and abstract way um mm -hmm giving a voice to how, how that all works. And as I was working on it, I was going through my own process. Forgive me for just straight up just diving into that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Hi. Uh, <laughs> yes, I tend to be this kind of storyteller. Um, but yeah, yeah um, there we go. Uh, I don't know if that's what you meant, but there we are. <laughs> Absolutely, that's that's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, and it's a very it's a beautiful project. I I really uh, appreciated the art style as well as as the story and kind of the intent behind it. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was great. Uh, and I'm interested in um, yeah why you decided uh, to kind of switch between uh, the 3D. Uh, animation and the 2D animation. I thought it was very effective. And I'm wondering where, where in the process did you make that decision and uh, why, uh, why did you decide to go that route? Great question. Um, for me, animation, because filmmaking in general is the ability to watch somebody's experience through a safe place, right? That's the, mm -hmm. the beauty mm -hmm. of storytelling is learning through somebody else's experience. And so with animation, to me, it's a very, it's one of the most strongest form of storytelling because every motion, everything you see on the screen was hand done. Like somebody had to sit there and make mm -hmm. that and design it. Mm -hmm. And we all had to look through it and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why it's 2D and 3D, 3D to me is very, it reflects reality a lot. Right, mm -hmm. it's it visually can look like us. Visually, it's in that 3D space, mm -hmm. and so it's more grounded in kind of a reality. And mm -hmm. 2D can be anything, right? 2D can be shapes and colors and lines, and but mm -hmm. yet you can bring characters into motion and have emotions that we all relate to it, right? All the 2D animated films that we all love so much, mm -hmm. and so combining these two ideas of what animation is, the reason the boy was 3D was because that means he, that is his, that's himself, that his mm. reality. Okay. And the 2D element is more emotional. Yeah. So when he goes into, from the 3D world into the 2D realm of this forest, because everything changes into that, mm -hmm. it's, it represents emotion. Mm. 2D okay. drawing and 2D animation 
can really capture feelings. And right. that's strongly through the the gesture of the artist who's drawing it. Right. Um, and so the reason I wanted to do those was 2D is stronger to me in conveying that more abstract idea. And it's right. more ethereal, at, at least in the story. Um, yeah. And so like, how, yeah, so that's that's that was the intent on it. But also because I also choose things based on the crew that I want to work with. Um, okay. And I had such talented 3D animators, such talented 2D animators. And without them, I could not have made this film. There's like 40 right. plus people who volunteered their time to do this. Yeah. And they, all of them, whether that's through rigging and lighting and editing and sound, each of their parts when they're put together has a strong cohesive feeling to it. So I just, I wanted to honor that story of a child going through this or anybody who's been through that uh, been through trauma by the hands of someone else mm -hmm. to kind of to feel um and have a uh, be heard and seen and i feel like 2d animation is pretty strong with that but 3d gives us a someone to really directly relate to because they look like us and they feel like us right mm, that is mine <laughs> does that make sense yeah or, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Totally. I think that um, it, it it felt like, yeah, the because of the fact that the two-dimensional animation was a lot more abstract and so subjective in a sense that that definitely worked for me. We had a clear sense of what was uh, what was happening in that. And so I'm interested in uh, learning a little bit because I, I haven't really worked uh, in animation really at all. Uh, what is what is the process? Do you start off with, uh, you know, a, a, in kind of the typical style with a script and then uh, and then move into storyboards from there? Or do you do you start off with images? Uh, uh, I, what is your personal process? My personal process, because in the industry, there's different ways of how to create content. Usually it's okay. um, there's board driven and script driven, all that kinds of cool things where you start from images and you move forward with a story or you start from words and move forward in the story either way. And they overlap. Mm -hmm. My process is I draw images of beats that I want to see. Okay. So the boy, his name was Luke, the Luke and the monster like that moment when they see each other or that moment where he's mm -hmm. changing or he's afraid. And then I'll write, because now that I have a picture of what I want to say, gotcha. um, and I do this for the other films I've done too, where I'll have a, a, a story beat, which is an image of this is what I want to say. You okay. know, um, like in my other film, I, I couldn't figure out the whole story until I finally found a final image in my mind of like, this is what the whole story is about. It's about a girl and her family kind of thing. And they're all holding hands and all this beautiful stuff. And that was Adesia, the one I did for my bachelor's uh, thesis with a okay. beautiful group of friends who also joined me on Monsters as well. Okay. Um, so for me, I start with an image and then I write it. And, and I usually, it's just like a Word document or Google doc. And it's just sentences of beats that happen. Like, okay. Once upon a time, there was this, and every day, uh, once upon a time, and then th this character does this, and every day it was this kind of feeling mm -hmm. until one day, right. exciting event until this, and because of this, and because of that, until you get to the, until finally, and ever since that day, because there's like a seven kind of story beat structure that I usually go off of sometimes to help me move forward with making content, but um, 
right? I'll usually then, yeah. Is that, so <laughs> is that the is that the the Pixar method? I feel like I've heard that before. I believe so. Yes, I was taught and trained by Disney and Pixar veterans, as I call them. You know, from the the golden age, as they call it, in animation, and I think okay. the the Toy Story and Incredibles. You know, those those beautiful folks who okay. have all that wisdom under them. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. and then from there, I'll board and bored and write and bored and you switch between the two and of course your feedback the people you trust beautiful writing process until you finally come down to the final boards and yeah okay yeah mm -hmm. that's pretty interesting uh so those initial images it sounds like uh you you have you know they characterize sort of key beats in the story mm -hmm. and uh what what was uh how much change do you do you find between those initial images and what ends up as the final product? Is it, you know, the the design of the characters might change, but the beat doesn't, or the beat also changes? Uh, yeah, I I know that sometimes, you know, at least in my work, the seed of a story might be, you know, it might be an introduction to something that I end up completely cutting uh, because I just <laughs> end up finding myself uh, having kind of painted myself into a corner and I need to I need to go somewhere else with it or what have you. Uh, for you, have you found that those beats tend to tend to survive the iteration process or is it something uh, where you you just kind of uh, see what works best uh, as as life moves forward? Oh, yeah, they totally get scrapped. Um, <laughs> 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 Some of them, the intent doesn't the intent okay. like knowing okay i want this feeling of mm -hmm. boy facing monster okay mm -hmm. that boy might not be riding the monster out of the forest but there's something between they have to meet so yeah it changes okay. it changes and but the initial characters are there but then the monster design just everything changes but the the, the through line of i need this relationship to be present mm -hmm. oh. right right yeah and that's interesting i I'm interested in uh, learning a little bit about how how you iterate, for example, through uh, creature design, for example. That's not something that I really have any control over when doing something live action. I, I guess uh, when Unless. you get to a certain, yeah, I mean, at a certain <laughs> level you can, uh, but you know, there's yeah. there's an extent to which you kind of cast the person that you cast, and it's you can't ask them to change their face uh, yeah. because you want it to be different. In fact, that's uh, <laughs> kind of offensive. Um, yeah, just a little bit. Just so uh, <laughs> yeah. For example, I you know the the creature design that you have in uh, in your project is it, it kind of reminded me of sort of a Studio Ghibli spirit creature. That that was the feeling. Yeah. Kind of a princess mononoke sort of vibe where we have these two different phases kind of the you know the nice phase and the mean phase to put it really crudely uh and i'm wondering if you know if that was something that you had in your mind from the very get-go because it's you know built into the story or did we have flying winged versions of it or very different uh looks to the creature as you iterated along yeah, uh, great question. First off, I'm honored to have the uh, Studio Ghibli even being in the same sentence as my work. Um, <laughs> oh, what a privilege, Miyazaki. Um, so <laughs> he definitely was a huge inspiration for this piece. Um, mm -hmm. Huge. Uh, yeah, for the monster design, it was be it changed because the intent of what the monster was changed. 
um, at first the monster didn't transform at all. It was just, oh. it was a completely different design. It was a completely different look. It, it was, it was, it was almost like a Groot-esque character way oh. in the beginning, right? Okay. Where it was just a little girl in the woods who got lost and just wanted to find her way home. And then this creature is like, I'll take care of you until you're found. But then the whole story changed when I was actually like, really trying to actually say something um it was that it was actually based off of a piece i did in a different class uh, you know when you're in when you're in in class you have no idea what you're doing because you're exhausted but when i (laughs) made the movie i was like okay what can i actually do with this and so then the creature shifted as i understood what the story was actually about um which was about how do you the monster to me represents the 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 instinctual fears but that you can't run from that are always there you know the the part of you that you are terrified and you're scared but you don't know why but they're still trying to protect you at the same time Mm -hmm. but you need to face them and that's why he's chased by them and he he could never get away from them but it's like when you run from the trauma and you keep running from that it's Mm -hmm. going to it's going to pursue you until you finally just crash into it and then okay. you're you're eye to eye with this thing, and so I had to have this this. That's why it had to be two D. You know, it had to follow him like a shadow. It had to and a harpoon right. almost. And when you crash into it, it has to be a beast because that's what it feels like. You're facing this huge emotional pit, basically mm-hmm. a, a beast in front of you of what's going on, and it, it and it had to change back and forth. And so the the person in the there's flashbacks in this story that were in red, right. um, emotional PT, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I had those when I was trying to, cause as I was making this movie, I was actually going through facing my own trauma of oh, wow. my, my childhood. So hmm. as I'm making this movie, I am in Lucas's shoes. I'm in the character's shoes. And so when I'm doing those flashbacks, that's how it felt, you know, just hmm. all of a sudden you're just a flash in reality of the past. Um, whether it was triggered by something but it's trying to understand how they're not the same thing uh which is the hard part so when he wakes up and his hand is in the he punched the thing basically in the face spoilers um uh it cries right because that's actually you um and so it had to be so the fact that those story beats as i was going through my own process the monster had to change through time and in the story itself like not only creative meta i guess that's what you call it me making the story the monster changed but in the story itself it had to change right um that's why there's so many versions of it within the story because that's how the different processes i was going through emotionally had to be represented the beast the wounded beast the beast falling being completely destroyed revealing your your the true wounded part of yourself you know right. the, the memories of like baby, you know, I call it baby Lucas. We called it on the production, the 2D <laughs> Lucas, 2D baby Lucas, who's uh-huh, crying yeah, yeah. the entire time. Um, and so, but then that's revealed that's still you as the small, tiny mm-hmm. baby monster then, right? Mm-hmm. But then how that even falls apart because that part of you, you know, you have to let that part of you kind of acknowledge that it's hurt, but then it has to pass, right? right. And then it transforms into, we call this the angel monster studio ghibli-esque kind of thing (laughs) where it is the now new foundation of possible trust within yourself um 
right and the possible and the and it comes in tiny little lights that's why it appears from the ashes as tiny small lights that build through time to create that beginning of trust within yourself to help yourself get through the rest of life kind of so as i was going through my own stuff i was like mm -hmm. this is what the monster has to be which was completely not the group thing i did in the beginning you see what i mean right, I, right. <laughs> I so there we go that's my explanation long yeah word. that's i mean that's really fascinating it sounds like this project was coming from some uh, a very real place in your in your personal life and experience which uh you know, clearly invests it with a much more emotional intensity. And, and it sounds like, you know, it's interesting as I'm listening to you talk about the project and talk about the iterations that the monster is going through. Uh, I, I feel like you were using words like it has to do this. It needs to do that. It, it, it must come from, you know, the ashes uh, and be little lights. And that, I find that really fascinating and interesting because it, it seems like you have a high degree of kind of feeling that it, it should be this way. It, it, it's got to have this sort of look because that's what that means to me. But at the same time, you were somehow able to kind of not be precious about that and continue iterating and continue changing things, which I think is a very interesting combination between uh, being able to be sort of, you know, kind of ruthless with yourself and with the project and that it needs to change and it changes a lot, but as well uh, at the same time, knowing kind of what the key kernels are. Um, and I'm wondering if, is that something that you find bringing to your professional work, which I imagine probably working uh, as you have at, at these various animation studios, they're probably not asking you to constantly delve into your deep internal trauma to put it into, <laughs> you know, Netflix show X or what have you. Uh, yeah, Fair. how do you find that translating into projects where you are, are not the kind of the creative head of it? Great question, I was thinking. Um... It's like I know that's a tool, a storytelling tool, mm -hmm. that if I'm asked to, to given the permission to go to that place, I know I could go there. Mm -hmm. But when I'm on a team with someone else's story, it, I know it's theirs or okay. whatever their intent is. Sometimes you're on a show that, you know, we're just trying to make kids, you know, make things laugh and make kids laugh, or this is the most grotesque thing we've ever done. We're just trying to do that. And it's like, all right, I will embrace whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you have to make sure you're on the project that you're like, yes, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, but I will, it's like I want to support whatever the team is doing and give my strengths to what they need. Mm -hmm. And I tend to be someone who I can put in my my I can dive into that part of me and bring it forth. But I'm also I love the idea of supporting somebody else's vision of mm -hmm. whether that what that tone is, because that also is coming from a, a place within. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. and when I'm working, I will just kind of try to channel what the audience needs. Cause that's what the big thing was for me on Monsters in the Dark was about was, can I, can, can I honor the audience? Mm -hmm. Can I honor them? And so like on the show I'm on now, it's preschool, right? Adorable, adorable show. It's called Gabby's Dollhouse, no insert. Um, but, <laughs> but it's adorable, it's a, it's a show, but it's about 
a girl who's just exploring the world through her dollhouse with these cats. And so, but so the intent of that show is just to teach kids to have fun and that Mm -hmm. mistakes are okay and let's bake Mm -hmm. and craft. And that's the show. So when I'm doing the boards, I'm like, okay, I just want to, that's what I want to make sure I put forth is fun and cute for the kids. Right. Versus monsters in the dark. I'm like, I want you to be seen about your trauma. You know what I mean? So it's, (laughs) it's, so it's, it's the different tones in that respect. Um, And sometimes on the other show that I was on, uh, there was a part in the script where uh, someone boarded it and I felt like it wasn't quite right um, Mm -hmm. about uh, it was about someone, uh, one of the characters dealing with their parents passing. Okay. Uh, before their eyes and so mm-hmm. I've had that like my parents have both passed rest in peace both of, rest in peace both of you um, <laughs> but uh, so this young boy is is processing right in the moment in the show about his mm. parents passing wow and I as I was just a revisionist right I wasn't a board artist and so but, but I had to step in or I chose to speak um, to my gently to my directors about like hey this this moment is important because I went through this. And so I, I'm, hmm. I'm telling you this and you could do whatever you want with this information, but this is how I think would be a little bit to honor, I guess, this is how I felt watching it. And I hope that these, the, I just wanted to let you know. So maybe when you're doing this again, like the board artist maybe can change a little bit there. So the other kids or whoever uh, in the audience kind of doesn't feel the same way or they feel more heard. And so mm-hmm. the beauty of that, of collaboration, is that they allowed me then to board, or give a sample of how I would have looked gotcha. at that moment. And so I got to do a, a little board section of that, but that's used for reference. I don't know what they're going to do with it. So that's kudos to their leadership for letting that me even being able to do that. But that's right. where I would come back in, right, with being able to, hey, I did have this experience. Let me show and convey how I how I would have done it or mm-hmm. not I would have done it but this is how I would think would be mm-hmm. uh, a way to do it and so it's like taking I so I guess in the end of the day it's using mm. it's uh, honoring the audience that's basically mm. the the through process that I took and whether that whatever that story is and because I know how to deep go deep deep down into that trauma um i'm also not afraid to do that in other subjects but also with the happy subjects too so right. i right. did i answer the question who knows who knows i'm just talking at this point <laughs> giving little tragic podcast. snippets of my life <laughs> you're just like damn what has this person gone through god yeah, it's all uh, right it's fine uh yeah this is definitely the first uh interview that i've done where we've where we've talked about such uh intense subject matter but then again it makes sense because that's uh where this project is coming from yeah uh, and it sounds like uh that's kind of the skill is uh both when it's uh when it's something of yours that you kind of creatively own and something that isn't necessarily uh yours in the same way you find a you find a way uh to care about the project and uh ultimately to care about what the effect of this of this sequence is having on the people who are watching which which definitely makes sense i think it's i think sometimes particularly with short films which tend to be sort of passion projects uh i feel like a lot of the time people are 
there it becomes an almost internal thing you know where i i'm you know doing process art uh, where i'm processing through something on my own and there's and it's not product art where it is produced for someone um and i think ultimately most short films uh you do want people to watch it and you do want people to have a feeling about it so it, it makes a lot of sense to me that that's ultimately kind of the the driving factor for you um, so I'm interested in hearing a little bit about kind of uh, what what you're doing right now. It sounds uh, you're you're working for some. It sounds like you've worked for a, a number of large, uh, well-known animation uh, animation groups. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what your what the past couple of gigs that you've been doing have been? Yeah, some of them are. Uh, there's a project that's NDA, so I can't. Um, but but um, I guess a tiny bit of uh, work history. I've did an internship at Walt Disney Animation Feature Studio um, uh, as an intern, story artist there. Uh, did a project, uh, Sventana, and it came out I think 2017. It was the where I was brought in as a board in, our intern and. Um, basically given a sandbox, like here's these two characters, have at you. And so we made Ventana, which was the first intern short release to the public. So <laughs> in their history, so no pressure. So, but we got that out um, 2D, 3D as well. Somehow I magically end up on these productions that are <laughs> 2D and 3D, which is, isn't that magical? Hmm? And so, but then I did a, a Netflix internship, uh, Netflix training on uh, the show called My Dad the Bounty Hunter, and I believe it's coming out sometime, I think either next year um, or what have you. Let's hope the team isn't screaming at me, Apple, you got the wrong dates. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, but it's a beautiful, it's a 3D show, but has 2D elements um, hmm. in there as well um, about a dad uh, with uh, uh, and his children. He's space bounty hunter, and it's crazy. It's shenanigans ensue. Um, and so Fine. that was. Yeah, uh, and I was at Netflix. I was, and then I became a, a revisionist on that show because um, they mentor you. I had a wonderful mentor, uh, uh, two actually wonderful mentors on that show that really taught me the craftsmanship of story, being a storyboard artist, you know, programs and visual staging and all that beautiful mm -hmm. things. And then I became a revisionist, um, being someone on the team who helps the directors when they need lots of notes being taken care of. I'm right there to help them out so they're not drowning. <laughs> You, hopefully most of the time um so and then from there i got to uh be brought into dreamworks um to work on a magnificent project as a revisionist as well with this beautiful beautiful team who are so kind and so now i'm now a storyboard artist on uh the the show i'm on gabby saw house and i actually just finished up my first week so i finished one week on this show but i was a revisionist for them uh, part-time or for overtime uh, and that's how I they were like oh this this person's great so they brought me in full-time and it's a it's a live action 2d uh, live action 3d show the one Interesting. that I'm on now uh, yeah so it's yeah so it's 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 been fun you know and yeah. I had a fun variety enough to see uh, the different flavors, but I'm still so new to this industry. Um, so I'm, I'm excited right. to continue seeing what's what's up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested. I, 
basically, I know almost nothing, next to nothing, about how uh, the animation process ex itself works. So no prob. <laughs> some very vague, probably wrong sense of what a storyboard artist does. Oh, but some no, of these worry. other titles that you've used, I'm not sure what they do. Can you? I got you. Can you? I got you. Yeah, yeah. Please <laughs> go ahead and talk through just sort of in in the general scheme of things how you know, how how the sausage is made and uh, what what some of these titles are, the 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 work that you've actually done. What does that what does a revisionist do? <laughs> what is this world? This animation? <laughs> what do you draw over here, artist in corner? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Let me tell you, Josh. Um, so, uh, uh, so in animation, the, the pipeline, basically, and there's two different pipelines for 2D and 3D, but they all fall under this umbrella. <clears throat> okay. So uh, we enter. <laughs> so basically, uh, the pipeline is you story concept idea, you pitch it, everyone's like, we love it, great. It's pitched it, writing, right? This is probably similar to live action. You pitch it and then you start writing it. Mm -hmm. um, and probably, and I think in live action, you have the choice between like, you guys just like script it and then you go straight to shooting or you have plan a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But an animation, you know, we'll be writing it, but sometimes you'll also be storyboarding it, which means doing this comic book version of the film or uh, the, the episodes. But it's more of a blueprint of the of the of the of the show or movie. So that way, so storyboard artists, what they do is that we will take the written words that the writer has done mm -hmm. and put the first image to it. Right? Where Ken Ken and uh, Ken and Barbie are sitting at a table. We will draw Ken and Barbie sitting at a table, but however we want to kind of show it. Okay. And so if we we do that for the entire episode, la la la, the end of the episode, mm -hmm. then we'll have, you know, the creative people who who made the show, they'll look at it and go, you know, those are the creative heads who make the idea, they bring in, oh, I am so scattered of how I am describing this. I am so sorry. <laughs> okay, storyboard artist does the scripts to the boards, right? Okay. A okay. director, a director, and a director's different in, two, in the two, um, strains of um, animation there's film and then there's um there's film and then there's tv i'm in the tv side so i'll explain the tv part um uh even though i know the feature part too um directors are episodic directors so they have their one episode amongst the entire season they'll have several episodes right mm -hmm. so the director they get feedback her director says oh story artist we have to change this 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 in here storyboard artist will change it a little bit but then they have to move on to another episode so directors are still getting notes about their one episode or a little movie or a little tiny little episode here and says, mm -hmm. oh, God, I have so many notes. I can't handle this. Help. Revisionist comes in. I'll help you. Director. Oh, thank God you're here. Revisionist here. Here's some notes. Please help me. Revisionist goes, I got you. Takes notes, fixes things. I've done it. Director. Director. Awesome. These look great. Please do these other notes. And you're like, awesome. And these notes could look okay. like, oh, change the character's hat in all this scene like the character now wears this you have to change right. everything okay. oh the background is different changes it or it might be even complete overhaul of hey we need to the whole script got rewritten revisionist we need you to basically reboard this whole scene okay so a revisionist duties can be very different in that regard versus okay. a storyboard artist they have the original script they board it then they have to move on okay uh so um uh okay yes I hope I made it sound, made any sense. 
but <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm getting uh, a sense of that. Um, and, and thus, uh, I mean, how many rounds of revision does a, a project that you're working on uh, at DreamWorks or Netflix tend to go through? I, I, I feel like I, I've listened to a couple of people, you know, who worked at Pixar at one point and they, at least for, oh. you know, those big projects, like the revisions are constant and sort of never ending for years. At least yes. that was sort of the impression that I got. I imagine it's uh, not quite the same for uh, an episode of uh, a show uh, that mm -hmm. probably doesn't have the sort of budget that, you know, Up had or what have you. Uh, how does that work in your experience? Yeah. So feature... They don't have revisionists, by the way. Oh, interesting. So, like the like, let's say like the big movies, like Egypt's Prince, uh, Princess Mononoke. I actually, I have no idea how Japanese studios work. Um, Pixar, <laughs> all of them. They they don't have revisionists because they it's the board team and they just reiterate okay. over and over on their sequences. But they have a lot more time than TV. Right. That's and TV. They have to. So the iteration process and feature is slower, but more. Uh, drastic, um, where they're like, we got to, I think it was what, Finding Dory or something was reboarded, was like reboarded like six times the whole movie. And that's wow. insane. That is insane. <laughs> that's a lot of, that's a lot of work gone um, yeah. or built upon, excuse me. Um, but in TV, because it is a tighter budget, it is a huge, a much bigger turnaround. And we're working with a lot of outsourced studios um, for animation and even boards. Um, there has to be it has to be a lot faster um okay. and so that's why you bring in revisionists because the story artists can't they can't do both they can't revise their own stuff and make new and make new boards for a different episode um okay and so revisions i think it's usually probably like two or three turnarounds and then you have to turn it back in that's my understanding gotcha. um but cool. if it's okay. and, and it honestly depends on the team and it depends mm. on the project some projects, you know, are given bigger budgets, um, are given more time, depending on what it is. Um, right. right. So, and so for the teams I was on, sometimes they really want to polish the pilot. I was on a team that I was on two teams, one that was already released or excuse me, one that was already uh, basically almost done with their production. And I got to be on as a revisionist. So I was just basically helping tweaking boards, but then the mm -hmm. production I was then on to, hired on to a, my first project at DreamWorks. They were still in the beginning. They were still in their pilot. They were still making the first season. So everything was changing. And But they were really trying to polish up this pilot episode. Um, so then there'd still be iterations on that when I was leaving. So okay. that's interesting. So it's, it's even though I was there for maybe six months or what have you. Okay. Um, and so it's, and versus this show, it's already the one I'm on now. It's established. They have seasons. They know what they're doing. You know, they they know what right. they want. And so the the iterations for the revisions won't take as long because they they already know the tone of what they're going for. Right. So um, so it's very it's very interesting. You know, very different yeah. per team. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and it is. It, it kind of makes sense. And uh, leadership, and the leadership. Right. Okay. Because the sometimes when the the show I'm on, the leadership isn't they. They're the beautiful women from Blue's Clues, right? They mm. they they have their own process of beautifully doing everything, but mm. it's not the same structure as animation. So when they make a change, it affects the pipeline completely differently. Mm. So then the iteration process for 
this show is completely different than how it would be on My Dad the Bounty Hunter, which is run by people who have been in animation for God knows how long. So okay. it's it's very different. So interesting. Forgive me for interrupting you. So but that, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in. So it yeah. depends. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is uh, the world is your oyster in many respects. I, I mean, it's one of the things. Uh, one of the enormous differences between animation and and live action uh, theoretically anything is possible with animation and uh with live action you do ultimately even if you're you know working with in incredible practical special effects or puppetry or what have you there are limits to physical objects and physical people what they can do but that that sort of doesn't apply uh and it kind of makes sense that that would reconfigure uh how the process works in in untold ways um so you i think i imagine that there are a lot of people out there who are listening to the short film podcast and they're interested in animation and maybe they've been doing some stuff you know, on their home computer for a while, what have you. And they say, man, I wish I could work at DreamWorks. That would be great. And they're thinking, how does the short film that I'm thinking about making get me to the place where Apple is? Because I'm so envious of her. Uh, so you got this, whoever you are. <laughs> yes. this, uh, yeah, this this possibly not real person. Uh, we've got you. So, so Apple, how, yeah, talk to me about, uh, where you feel like your short film was helpful in getting to the place that you are now uh, in your career, you know, working at some of these big animation uh, companies, was uh, Monsters in the Dark uh, a key part of that process? Or was it more just, you know, one of many elements of uh, your resume and portfolio that uh, kind of went into uh, getting to the places that you got? Great question. Monsters in the Dark was definitely one of the, my short films mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. the hard reason for me to get my opportunities. Hmm. Um, for And of course, in my portfolio as well. So they would see the film and look at my portfolio or they would see the portfolio and then see the film. Okay. And seeing how those two are connected because I would board my own films. Okay. And the reason like I got my internship at Disney was because they saw my boards and saw the cohesive story that it was. Interesting. Because when I make a film, I try my best to really communicate and really express the story and honor the person I'm talking to. That's, I see art in that way where it's a conversation. Hmm. You know, I'm saying, as a storyteller, I'm saying this, I hope you understand as the audience and my language of how I communicate to the world and through my art is through animation. That's how I, how, that's how I talk and express and start conversations is through my art. Some people it's through different, they're different means of doing things. Um, mm -hmm. That's how I see storytelling. So when they, when I was told when they were looking at my portfolio and this applied to the rest of my jobs, they said the difference between us picking you and this other artist because there was this other board artist whose drawings were fabulous gorgeous lovely my drawings were not as up to par which i was like hey thanks um <laughs> they said but you're storytelling do we want an artist who can draw or an artist who can tell a story interesting and they chose me for the story and so we're mon so when monsters in the dark came in after i finished that sucker oh lord i changed man i'm a changed person because of that <laughs> um i should be but um that film is what got me the jobs the rest of them they would see they would see that film or actually it was my disney film too where they're like did you see that film 
it was my films. Everybody kept talking about my films. Her short. Have you seen her short? Have you seen this? Have you seen her mm -hmm. shorts? Mm -hmm. Because in my industry, the story is what matters. Right. Can you tell a story as a story person, as a story right. artist or a director or anybody who wants to be in that leadership um, position? And because not only was my, I had these films, but they were multimedia, which another thing that was piqued their interest. Cause that means, and not only did I have those two types of films or those films that were mixed media, but I mm -hmm. brought them, I brought them through to the end with this incredible teams with these beautiful people in these teams. Right. Cause that showed them not only can she tell a story, she can tell the story in these two different medias and combine them in a right. way that still moves us. Right. And she can collaborate with right. a lot of people to get it done. Mm -hmm. And there are the boards there that prove that it was hers. Yeah. So it was, and so when I would be in my interviews, they would ask me about my short film. They would ask uh -huh. me, what was that like? They would ask me, cause some of the people in the industry that I work with who are in these roles, they've never made a short film. They've never right. made a 3D or 2D short film unless they've been in school. Right. Um, those who, you know, entered when they're like 18, in the 1970s or whatever, right, um, right. those folks, but it was a huge advantage to know the pipeline, a huge advantage to know how to tell your own story or tell a story all the way from beginning, middle and end. Right. And that's right. just because you're as an artist, you're much more valuable, unfortunately, like the word, uh, but you can contribute more meaningfully in a project when you know kind of how the whole thing works. Right. including narrative. You don't have to know how animation works. It just made me stronger because I would board, they would know I would board knowing the pipeline at the, at the end. I right. would board knowing about riggers. I would board knowing about the animators. Mm -hmm. I would, and I would board knowing the audience that right. I'm talking to because I've shown over, I've already shown that in the films that I've done. So if you're somebody who's making your film or you're making animation and you're really passionate about it, try and you want to be in story because there's different disciplines within animation, not just storyboarding. There's also, you mm -hmm. know, rigging, lighting, uh, mm -hmm. producing, producers. My God, they're what beasts, those PAs. Um, <laughs> but it's really understand what you're saying and who you're saying it to. Because mm -hmm. even though animation and art is this beautiful big thing, you also have to understand that in, let's say, DreamWorks and in Netflix mm -hmm. and at Disney, mm -hmm. it's still a business. They're still mm -hmm. a company. Right. And so, unfortunately, that's a part of it. So if right. you know, and it's understanding how to, yeah, how to tell a story and how to convey that to an audience, but also as you're working on your own thing, really find out how your process is to, to express. What do you like to talk about? Do you like to talk? Do you like to now I speak about art like as though you're talking, right? Do you like to talk about or like draw or tell stories about horror and people dying do you like to tell like these action sequences that are epic you know like what kind mm -hmm. of narrative do you like to be a part of mm -hmm. and make it you know make yeah. it and it'll be a you'll be stronger for it you know i personally think so making movies is both torture and fun at the same time but they're the best those are the problems i love i love filmmaking <sighs> problems they're so good yeah absolutely yeah. well that is definitely true in live action as well it is the best sort of torture. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. That's very interesting. Um, you know, I people talk about how short films are calling cards. Uh, they're not in and of themselves generally going to be 
like a big financial success for you, uh, but they can get your name out there, they can get you noticed. And it sounds like that was very true uh, for the projects that uh, you've worked on. That was sort of what got uh, people to, to notice you as opposed to someone else is, is mm -hmm. that you have an interesting story that you understand uh, from, you know, a to Z, uh, all of the elements to get something there and to see it delivered. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and I guess that that kind of leads me to sort of uh, my my final question. Uh, do you have any advice for somebody who's, you know, maybe Apple 2.0 uh, and is five or 10 years behind you, but is interested in uh, in ending up uh, in story in animation. Uh, besides the things that we've talked about, would you recommend that they go to uh, uh, a school for that? Would you recommend that they just try to angle an internship? Uh, what sorts of things were helpful for you uh, and uh, were important for you to get where you are now? Thinking. It's a big question. Because <laughs> for me, I was an idiot growing up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I well, didn't know I wanted. I, wa I didn't know I wanted to be in animation when I was growing up. Uh, that's growing uh, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess my thing would be. I'm such a I'm such one of those abstract, deeper kind of. Not really, but I I would recommend observe the world around you mm -hmm. and try to draw little comics of it hmm. like fan fiction is where i honestly started nice. <laughs> nice. So, like see if you have fun kind of making up stories and see if you like to draw all the time like if you want to be a storyboard artist do you like to draw do you like to draw all the time um mm. For me, I went to school because that helps me when I have someone to instruct me through a process, and that's not for everybody. There are mm -hmm. online classes you can try. You know, online there's other online schools that are not as expensive as a you know as an art school, art school um, mm -hmm. that give you the same opportunities. I would, I guess, I would just ex learn as much about the animation as you can, like of. That's a good question because I was so scatterbrained as a kid, so I don't know if anything would have hit home for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's I, just it, it. I guess my advice would be explore, like really kind of look at behind the scenes of how your movies were made. Like, why is Mizaki so cool? Like, watch mm -hmm. as much as you can. Like, and if you're interested in being in this industry, honestly, it's a lot of connecting. It's a lot of connections. It's a lot of uh, interpersonal communication is a lot of networking mm -hmm. and a lot of asking questions like listening to podcasts like this you know mm -hmm. watching youtube videos going to see these movies going to the events uh, to, where everybody gathers and asking questions reaching out mm -hmm. to artists on the social media um, looking at their stuff on social media um, watching documentaries just get a try to get a sense of what is this industry because sometimes people are like oh i love animation i want to be an animator you're like no oh yes awesome yes but there's more to it than being an animator because <laughs> right, right. god being an animator is a completely different mindset than being a story artist and telling you if you want to be a story artist observe people's stories because i think that's what miyazaki talks about where he said that's why his stories are so interesting because he he observes the world first 
Hmm. It's like the world comes first. Like in Spirited Away, there's a part where she's crying and she's, you know, after she saw her parents turned into pigs and uh, and she's eating a rice ball, but the rice hmm. gets on her face. You know, normally hmm. in other productions, you're like, no, we can't have the rice on her face. But he's hmm. like, no, it has to be there because that's real. Right. Um, and so it's, and Pixar does the same thing. They're like, we, we take inspiration from real life. Mm-hmm. So if you can see the story in real life, like the story of the lamp and why does it look like that? You know, mm-hmm. the story of what does it really look like to look through somebody's eyes in this perspective? Like, how does the child actually see the world? Or how does this, it's, it's watching and seeing how you can tell the story of what's around you and the stories. It's just, uh, being a board artist is about drawing, yes. But if you want to be, there's, to me, I'm so sorry. I'm going off my own tangents here. I don't know if any of these make sense, but. Uh, we're interviewing you. So that's, <laughs> that's the point of this. Because <laughs> if you want to be a story artist, learn how to draw well and draw fast. Um, right. If you want to be a storyteller, learn, really learn the story of the world, hmm. the story of everyone around you. Hmm. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, and you can kind of tell. I there's a. I, I'm not going to cast shade on anything in particular, but uh, there's a series of, you know, kind of. Uh, unrelated uh, short films that got picked up by a major streamer and turned into kind of this, uh, you know, show. Uh, and some you can tell the people who are interested in the story uh, and in telling a story. And then you can tell the people who are really interested in, wow, that's a really beautiful image. And, you know, kind of this string of beautiful images that might not really amount to anything uh, more than the sum of their parts. And it sounds like if you want to do the storytelling part of animation, you need to know how to tell stories and you need to observe the stories. So that that makes all sorts of sense. Uh, Well, that's this has just been a a really great discussion. Uh, Are you active on social media? If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah, I uh, I am not as active on social media as one might say I should be. But yeah, so no, I am on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. I don't really interact very much on Twitter, but you can definitely contact me on Instagram. And I also have my email up there too for my portfolio if you want to. Like usually using that site gets me gets you to everywhere uh, to me. But Instagram is probably the best way um, if you want to reach out to me, contact me, ask questions like, what is any of this? What did it all mean? Um, <laughs> And I'm here to help out, you know, it was really difficult for me to get into the industry if you're somebody who really wants to know about it and ask questions. Um, I too did not think Pikachu was real until I went to school. Um, And uh, (laughs) that's so silly. Anyway, I didn't know (laughs) Pikachu was I didn't know Pikachu was animated. I thought and I didn't know how that I did not make that connection like Pikachu was drawn. What? Right. Um, right. (laughs) But yeah, they can contact me through my Instagram. Uh, Do I have to say it or the the, the Uh, It's it's, Ap- it's, Apollo- it. <laughs> it's Apollonia Vic. You know, if you just there find Apollonia Vic, you there usually can find your way to me somehow. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again, Apple. And uh, thank you all for listening to Cheat the Camera. Cheat the Camera is hosted by me, J.D. Henning, and produced by Aaliyah Tamer. Please comment and rate Cheat the Camera on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the best way to help spread the word. You can get in touch with me by contacting me at contact.cheatthecamera.com or on Twitter at JDHMix. Thanks for listening.